0: Ability to perform at anything in life, your career, sports, DFS, just know that you are not alone. It was a rough week for the boys. Welcome into fantasy football today, DFS. On Tuesday, September 21st, Frank Stanfield joined by Mike McClure and Sia Najad. Today on the pod, we have lots of lineup review. First, we'll take a look at cash, and then our, maybe not our best GPP lineups, but maybe our most interesting GPP lineups, and we'll talk about those. Take a look at our first ever FFT DFS Invitational. 100 people, single entry, $5, top 10 gets paid out. Take a look at the winning lineup, what happened there. Uh, Sia actually cashed there. He finished eighth. Uh, Mike and myself... Not so good, but we'll, uh, we'll let you know where we finish a little bit later on. You'll have to wait and see. And then an early look at Week 3 pricing. But let's start with this. I mentioned back in August that we were going to be very transparent on this podcast and that there would be a lot of losing in NFL DFS. And that's just part of the game. We know there's a lot of variance. And if I can sum up Week 2, it, it would be with this text that I sent you guys. at 7.25 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday night. I <laughs> think it might be time for me to retire from DFS. That was it. That was the text. What a great career it was. Uh, just one of the worst weeks in DFS that I've seen. And I don't think it was just us. I, you know, I follow the other big wigs in the industry, and it, it seems like losses were pretty common, and they were widespread throughout this week. And I think it could be summed up with two words. Cooper Cup, two more words. Derrick Henry, which I had neither of this week. Mike, what's going on? What do you think of my, my summation of week two?
1: No, I think you summed it up pretty accurately. And you mentioned that word variance. There's a lot of variance in it. And like it was a brutal week for me in DFS. One of the first I've had since 2011. Yes, an entire decade of playing daily fantasy probably one of the bottom five weekends I've had across the board there. It was just so weird because it didn't sting as much for me because I was so heavy and so invested in that Cowboys game that I had them on the point spread at plus three and I had them on the money line. I ended mm. up winning both of those bets. And just to talk about how insane the variance is there, Cooper dropped the touchdown, obviously, but like, I won both of those bets. If I had talked to you early in the week and we're like, yeah, Mike, you're going to win the plus three and the Cowboys money line, but you're going to get less than 15 total points from Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper together, I would have called you crazy, right? Just absolutely crazy. But so fortunately, I got those wins in, but on the, and it makes it sting a lot less. But overall, yeah, I was just a total disaster of a weekend if you had the Cowboys and Chargers passing game.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a good reminder that the Cowboys still do like to run the football, and they can do it effectively at times. Ezekiel Elliott, eh, he's all right. Tony Pollard, he's he's a little bit better. See you, what's going on, man? How was week two for you?
2: It was similar to, to yours, frankly. I, it was it was not a profitable weekend, and no surprise. I think we all were were somewhat invested in, um, in that Cowboys-Chargers game, which didn't end up being a shootout. And as far as them liking to run the ball, that's always been the case. It's just the problem typically for the Cowboys is that they're down 14, you know, about 10 minutes into the game, then it becomes the DAC show. So if they're able to establish a ground game before they're losing, then it's going to be a completely different sort of game plan for them. So I think that sort of happened a little bit. And yeah, it's funny about Cooper Cup, because if, if everyone recalls, you know, we put out a sheet with our values, our, our, our chalk plays, our contrarian plays, we usually publish it. Frank helps us publish that. I think Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. Cooper Cup was my guy. But because of, and it's just funny how this works, because of me wanting to get a lot of pieces of that that Chargers-Cowboys game, I just left him off a lot of lineups. And that really ended up hurting me. So it's one of those things that you go into the week liking somebody, but then for whatever reason, you come off of that guy. And it's like, that's kind of a lesson there is, I'm not trying to say like, stick with your gut. We get information as the week goes, and sometimes your mind is going to change. But There was no reason for my mind to change on Cooper Cup last week. So it was just one of those things. I'm a little disappointed in myself for not having uh, an abundance of shares of of Cooper Cup.
3: Yeah,
0: I'm right there with you. We all liked Cooper Cup, and we all said that he was a great value at 6 k It basically came down to that decision point of Cooper Cup versus that mid-tier of Cowboys wide receivers. Omari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, I mean, even Keenan Allen in that same game, Mike Williams was Mm -hmm. a popular play as well. He was 6,200. So you had to make that decision. And if you went with that Chargers-Cowboys stack in that game, then you probably made the wrong decision. And speaking of wrong decisions, let's jump right into our cash game lineup review. Last week, I went last. I'm going to go first here. And uh, you guys kind of pick this apart. We'll look at it together and I'll let you know what my thought process was here. Uh, and then I'll let you guys uh, give your thoughts on it. So the Cowboys stack goes sideways. I had Dak Prescott. I had Amari Cooper. I have CeeDee Lamb and I had Blake Jarwin. So something that Mike and I both similarly did, we went three by one in, well, four by one technically uh, on the Cowboys side of things. We brought it back with Keenan Allen, Chris Carson, Najee Harris, Extreme Chalk, owned for Chris Carson, 53% for Najee Harris. Both of those guys did what they needed to. Chris Carson definitely ran hot with the two rushing touchdowns, did nothing in terms of receptions or targets in that game. Chase Edmonds was my flex play at uh, 4,900. He was 11% rostered, and then I had the Dolphins defense down at 2% owned. My question to you guys will be, I think the theme here is another week and no late swap for me. And it's 3 30. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at my lineups. I'm towards the back of all of my double ups. And I have almost my whole team to go. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, all right, I still have a chance because, you know, I have all these guys. But what I really should have been thinking is this game is going to be so owned. The Cowboys and Chargers game is going to be so owned. Once I saw that I did not have Cooper Cup, I did not have Jamar Chase, I did not have Noah Fant, those were all chalky plays on, on the early part of those games. Once I didn't have those, I think I had to swap off. And I just didn't do that. So uh, what do you guys think about this lineup overall and my decision not to late swap?
1: I mean, I think the, the first thing about this lineup is, is you hope that Amari Cooper catches the touchdown pass. He had a touchdown pass that ended up getting dropped one that could have been called a flag, but like that outcome is drastically different. If you get that touchdown on the double dip with Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper changes the flow of the game just a little bit as well. So as far as the actual construction of your build, Um, there's really not a lot of of issue with it other than for me, I, yeah, I mean, I don't don't see really anything wrong with it. I like, you know, I didn't end up liking the dolphins defense myself, but other than that, it's a sound build. You just literally got what almost 40% or 50% of the expected points in that game. Um, you know, the game didn't play out the way you thought it would, but there's nothing wrong with the build itself.
0: Yeah, I think Blake Jarwin at 0.2%. It's just, I get him at super low ownership, but I mean, it's basically a committee approach between the tight ends right now. They're running both of those guys on the field. And even without Michael Gallup, you know, Cedric Lamb is getting a few targets here and there, Tony Pollard, and obviously the two big wide receivers. So I think the plays or play was uh, Noah Fant in that low 4K range. Tyler Higby, although he did nothing, I still think that the process led us to believe he was a strong play in his matchup. So I think that was overall probably bad, a bad idea for me is playing Blake Jarwin in that spot. Probably should have went with one of those other tight ends. But uh, Sia, what do you think? I, I feel like I once, I once I miss out on that chalk, I probably need to late swap.
2: I'm not so sure because your three by one construction is, in in my opinion, pretty unique, especially because you have Blake Jarwin in there as well. So, And a lot of people, frankly, aren't going to have three by one. They might have just... Dak with Amari or Dak with Lamb, and they might bring it back with Keenan, for example. So you're becoming more unique as you're adding people to that game. So I don't really have a problem with with not late swapping here, but I understand your sentiment there. I, I, again, I don't have a problem with the lineup. You have a couple chalk. I mean, we have a lot of chalky guys, but your construction itself, I don't think, with that Cowboys Chargers game, I don't think it's super chalky, even though you do have a lot of chalk in there, just because of the way it's constructed. I definitely think it had. If that game shot out, you know, you definitely had a shot. A, a really good shot to to cash for sure, and that's just one of those things. Sometimes the game doesn't go by the script, and you just have to move on to the next week. Which is why, like, I sent you guys some um, some games and that I like for week three. I mean, I couldn't wait for the pricing to come out because I just wanted to like get this out of my system. And we'll talk about it later in the show. But man, I'm already making lineups because I just want to I just want to get that sour taste out of my out of my mouth and let's go. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like, if if Dak has an outcome that Tom Brady does, right? Like I'm probably sitting pretty and it's easy to say now, but I mean, that's what a lot of people expected to happen. Right. So that was kind of my rationale between not late swapping. I was like, you know what? That could still go off. I know that I'm far behind here, but I I have so many players left to play. I thought I had a chance to jump back in there. So uh, some of the thought process, I think, you know, maybe a lesson learned there where if I miss out on early chalk, consider late swapping more, But uh, let's move on to Mike's lineup here, who you just beat me, Mike, by uh, .10 in your cash lineup. You wind up with 103.58. Very similar build here. You go with the four by one. Uh, You have Cedric Wilson in your lineup instead of the Blake Jarwin that I had. But you also go with DeAndre Hopkins, who scores a touchdown on the second drive of the game and then does absolutely nothing after that. So what happened here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Nothing there. Uh, Same thing that happened to you, really. The game did not give the game script that we looked at. So if you look at like probabilities heading into the game, Dak just go over two and a half passing touchdowns was essentially even money. That was essentially the expected outcome almost there at that point. For him to not have a single touchdown obviously changes things. Jared Cook had a touchdown called back. Um, Mm -hmm. Just drastically different outcomes here with that you know it turns into a rushing touchdown on the other side. Amari's touchdown that was dropped turns in there. I mean you get 20 some points really quickly that also changes the outcome of the game. So I think that it's unfortunate. I think that this group of receivers to get only one it sounds only one, but this a floor game essentially for DeAndre Hopkins in a game where they scored 34 points at home and won. Uh it's just you know you're on the wrong side of it as far as ownership percents and all the other everything else like even having the Patriots defense like I personally had absolutely zero issues with my process. It might be a little biased to say that, but uh, I didn't have any issues with it other than I, you know, we didn't get the result we wanted, but I made the commitment early in the week. Just like last week when I told you I was going overweight on the Kansas City Chiefs last week, I was going overweight on Dallas and I was going to have what should have been a unique combination with Wilson and bringing it back with Cook and not Keenan Allen. Uh, and it didn't work out and that's okay. We'll play again this week
0: talk about your decision to pay up a little bit here for defense the Patriots you get them at 3700 they have a monster game against Zach Wilson by the way I mean we, like we knew the Jets were bad but like really Zach Wilson I mean the guy is just like floating the ball up for grabs for like anybody who's in the, the, the vicinity I unfortunately watch a lot of that game uh, how did you get here to the Patriots uh, paying up for defense
1: A lot may not like this answer, but it was not a conscious choice at all uh, because I build everything with a computer. So that was what my computer spit out based off of my projections. As far as why it ended up getting there, it got there because of the value on Chase Edmonds, uh, Cedric Wilson, and Jared Cook. Those three players having such high medium projections and essentially forcing that build where you had the bring back. So when I run with the optimizer, I will have settings where... If I have a quarterback like Dak, there's a rule for each individual quarterback because some of them tend to run more than the others. But if I'm playing Dak, the optimizer must select two of his pass catchers and it must select at least one pass catcher from the other side of the game. So because of that, it had the value on Jared Cook. Um, That's why the Patriots defense ended up getting in there. But it was really not a conscious choice of mine to put them in there.
0: And that's a rule for Dak because he doesn't run as much. Well, he never, you know, he would score rushing touchdowns. He never really was a rushing quarterback, but that's because yeah. he's more of like a pocket passer. Let's say if you use someone like Lamar or Kyler Murray, that rule probably drops down to you only need one pass catcher on his team, maybe even none, just because they run it as much as they do, right?
1: Correct, yeah. And another good example is Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, it's always two for me. When we're playing showdown slates. it's always a minimum of three and showdown slate. Um, So yeah, it's, it's different by each quarterback, but you're dead on like Kyler, someone you can play by himself. However, I do tend to always stack Kyler, but sometimes I'm stacking Kyler with a running back like chase Edmonds, who will catch a pass. Um, Let's see other ones. Wilson. I always stack with at least one. Lamar is the one that I never force a stack with.
0: Yeah, just because, I mean, there's no, like, alpha receiver in his lineup. Though, Hollywood Brown has played very well through two weeks. Mark Andrews, guy's on a milk carton right now. I mean, we got to figure out what's going on there. Uh, See ya. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It wasn't all bad because cash lineup here looks pretty damn good. 184.22 is the score for you. And it's easy to say in hindsight, but I think this is a fantastic lineup. I think that you did what... Basically, what we spoke about all week is that you left Cooper Cup in this lineup. You hit the early chalk with Najee Harris, Cooper Cup. You made the right decision to fade Amari Cooper, which, again, is easy to say now. But uh, you get $100 of saving with Justin Herbert. He winds up throwing one touchdown. He easily could have had a way better game than he did. Uh, You have two pass catchers in there for him with Keenan Allen and Jared Cook. We All three of us uh, played Chase Edmonds in cash. Uh, This week, so uh, it's easier to say now, but I I think that this is honestly a a great cash lineup.
2: Yeah, it worked out. Um, By the way, for those listening on the podcast, I think you might have said 184.22. It's actually 148.22 because 184 (laughs) would be a pretty awesome score. So this is pretty good, too, though. Obviously, like I loaded up on on a lot of the chalk here um, again, you know, it could have been better. You know, I expected a little bit more from Chase Edmonds. Jared Cook did get a touchdown called back. And honestly, it might've been a phantom penalty. It was, it was because of an illegal motion. Two guys didn't get set. But when you watch the one replay they offered us, it looked like they did get set before, you know, before the the snap. So that, that really should have been another, you know, seven or so points for Jared Cook, you know, punting on the dolphins, you know, we always say, I shouldn't say always punting on defense, you know, is usually a, a pretty good idea, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot of good options in that low range. Frank, you talked about the Eagles last week. That, was a mu- that ended up being a much better option than what my pick was, which was the Dolphins. I think if I had found a way to get up to what Mike did, which was the New England Patriots defense or even you know a pedestrian defense like the Browns or something, I think that would have worked out a little bit better. It's just a matter of I would have had to have come off probably Carson or Najee Harris, which honestly wouldn't have been the end of the world.
0: And, you know, the Eagles on paper, it looks like they they played well because they limited the 49ers to only 17 points. But they only wound up with one point on DraftKings, Sia. So uh, it really it really didn't matter between the Eagles and the Dolphins defense here in this case. I think, you know, a lot of people, it was per- pretty popular to play the Jets in the spot. They were 2,200. They wound up with three points, which, again, at, at 2,200 is is perfectly fine there. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike, what do you think about this build here for Sia?
1: I think it's good. Uh, The only thing I would have done differently, which I'm not going to knock anyone for playing Najee Harris, is no at Najee's ownership at that price, knowing that we liked Edmunds there at 4,900. I just I think maybe a better combination at flex and defense with that Mm -hmm. remaining salary is the only Mm -hmm. thing that I personally would have done. But it's again easy to say that in hindsight. Um, Otherwise, everything else looks really good and frankly very similar to the core group of players that we're using. Like, I'm sure you had a Justin Herbert lineup. I had a Justin Herbert lineup. I just, I didn't play any Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup was an excellent play that you stuck to there. And having that conviction in this lineup is the reason why you made money.
2: Right.
0: Yep. And uh, just to put a bow on cash from last week, by the way, if you want to follow along, what we're going to do every week here, if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash fantasy football Today, we are going to throw up screenshots of our cash game lineups, our GPP lineups, so you can kind of follow along, and while we're talking about our process, you can see the players, you'll see a bunch of snowflakes, of course, for my lineups, uh, you'll see some fire there for Sia, but it is fun to uh, to follow along visually if you want to watch us on the, on the podcast as well. One of the most popular cash lineups that I saw on Sunday did start with Herbert, it had Carson and Najee Harris, C.D. Lamb, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, someone at 5K who we do like. Uh, who we liked quite a bit. Noah Fant, who had a great game, scored a touchdown. He was at 4,200. Then had Keenan Allen in the flex and the Jets defense. So don't get too fancy. Play the best plays. We talked about you know, a lot of those guys last week, and it and it wound up being a, a winner. So that was one of the most popular lineups that I saw last week. Uh, when it comes to... GPP, let's jump over. Mike, you had an alternate cash lineup that you used in GPP as well. And you go with a Kyler, Edmonds, Hopkins stack. You bring it back with KJ Osborne, which again, like Hopkins scored early. It looks like he's headed for a smash and then it just becomes the Rondell Moore show. Uh, But KJ Osborne was a great call by you. I'll throw that lineup up as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely one of my, you know, secondary builds. It was a secondary cash lineup. So a lot of times I'll split like 70-30 exposure. So 70% of it will be on my primary lineup. Then I'll play a secondary cash lineup for 30%. Uh, And that's where I went with Kyler because I was higher than the field on K.J. Osborne and I was higher than the field on DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I was high on both of those two players. Obviously, this was not a great result from Hopkins at all. I had that Jets defense in there, which, again, you talked about it being relatively popular in some of the cash games. Makes a ton of sense. You're essentially punting. Uh, But the big problem here remains the same thing. The Cowboys did not score touchdowns. That hurt me. Amari Cooper's touchdown didn't happen. Cook's touchdown off the board. Like this is a lineup that, you know, the scoreboard obviously looks drastically different if the Cowboys do what they're supposed to do as far as the rankings and tournaments, but this lineup itself as well, um, you know, conservatively should have scored 160 points probably if we had the actual game script that we were, we building for. Well,
0: let me ask you guys a question, because this is something that I've been talking, I've been thinking about recently and it might be a bit of a ridiculous question, you know, me just kind of overreacting here, but. Are we trying too hard to correlate our lineups? Uh, maybe it's just random noise, but a lot of the winning lineups that I've seen to this point, right? Like I'll jump to the top lineup in all of my tournaments, and that's exactly it. It's random. There's not a lot of correlation. I understand that there's variance in football, but it just it kind of makes me rethink my process, which I, I don't think is actually what we should
2: do. But, see, what do you think? Are we are we trying too hard to correlate lineups? No, I don't think so, because another way to say that you're correlating lineups is you're trying to find the best players in the highest scoring games. And naturally, those are going to be correlated. Now, not every single thing needs to be correlated in your lineups. I mean, you can have some one offs here and there. But again, let's go back to the Cowboys Chargers game. If that game script is different. And by the way, we had every reason to believe that it would be because the Cowboys are always down early and they're always passing and the Chargers. You saw what they did against Washington. Herbert had plenty of time to chuck it down the field. Well, he didn't have that time against Dallas, which is very strange given the front four for both of those uh, opponents that he had. So we we all kind of just anticipated the Chargers moving down the field really easily and then the Cowboys having to fight back through the air. So like, again, going back to Mike's point, the, the process w- was right. It's just the outcome was, was unfortunately, it's there's variance involved. It's different, but that's a long way of me saying targeting a three-by-one stack or a two-by-two stack or whatever, three-by-two, whatever stack you wanted to do, two-by-one, that makes sense in that game. It makes sense to correlate that when you look at the total. Those That was supposed to be a back-and-forth game. And again, when you're correlating lineups, all you're looking for is a back-and-forth. So, I mean, I almost think correlation makes it too... You're, you're, you're complicating it, not you, but it's just you, you're you using a term that maybe you don't even need to use because the layperson might be like, well, listen, I've got I got a 55 point total here and I'm going to use players from both sides because it's going to be a back and forth game. I, I think we see a couple anomaly, a couple anomalies in weeks one and week two, especially with that Millie lineup in week one. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, there, there's a lot of data supporting the the correlation. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a matter of just getting a bigger sample size. And we talked about it before the season started, when we're talking about like four week sample sizes with with bank rolls, for example. I think once we get through four weeks, we might have a few more answers. But week one and week two, we we just don't have enough data. But I'll tell you this, uh, correlating lineups still makes a ton of sense.
0: All right, so stick with the process, trust it there. Uh, we heard Chief barking in the background, not a big fan of correlating his lineups, but uh, we'll have a talk with Chief after this podcast, of course. All right, see ya. Let's take a look at one of uh, a GPB lineup that you wanted to highlight, which was fundamentally similar to Mike's lineup that we showed. I mean, you had the uh, Cardinal stack here, you had Kyler, you had Edmonds, you had Christian Kirk, you brought it back with Justin Jefferson, you have Mike Williams, and you have Jared Cook, with Lamb on the bring back, and then you have your one-offs with Javante Williams and Cleveland Browns, and I think this is what you were just talking about, where you correctly stacked the game, you just had the wrong player. I mean, you had you had Christian Kirk in the lineup. If you have a Rondell Moore here, I mean, I don't I don't know what the difference in, in points and, and payout might look like, but you had the right idea.
2: Yeah, and this is a lineup that barely cashed, and, and you just set it up so perfectly, because the only reason, I, I had lineups that scored a little bit more than this in GPP, not much more, but a little bit more, but I thought this one was a really good example of uh, of like how you should build. It's just that I did have the wrong players, like Chris Kirk instead of Rondale Moore. That, that was a big difference. I tied Kyler Murray to Chase Edmonds because in this particular case on this team, it's a good idea because Chase Edmonds is such a pass catcher. I thought that would make me a little bit different by having a Kyle Murray stack without DeAndre Hopkins, for example. So if I had just swapped out Kirk for Rondale Moore I would have been good having Justin Jefferson in there that certainly makes sense as a bring back in that game I had CeeDee Lamb who really was my favorite player in that Cowboys Chargers game And and it ended up not paying off but I ended up kind of being right on that one the really the big miss there Jared Cook who got a touchdown stolen from him in my opinion actually stolen from him and uh Javante Williams, and, and that was kind of me living on a prayer a little bit because split carries between him and Melvin Gordon, but it's against Jacksonville's defense, so I just figured both him and Melvin could both have really productive games. I was clearly wrong about that, but again, if that Cowboys game shoots out a little bit more, and if I switch Kirk for Rondale Moore, then all of a sudden, this is a pretty great lineup, so it's one of those things, it's just like one or two things that I genuinely could have gone either way on, and I, I should have listened to Mike McClure a little bit more because... He's all. He's been all over Rondale Moore, and I just I don't know I, I don't know why I put Kirk in there. Maybe I was chasing the two touchdowns he had from the week before, but it's just one or two very small tweaks. Take out Javante for somebody else, switch Kirk for Rondale Moore. I would have gotten salary relief there, so I would have been able to upgrade from Javante. This would have been a great lineup. So big misses are usually near misses. So you have to consider the context here.
0: Yeah, and I do think Javante. You get him at four percent owned here in the spot. I do think that he was a good GPP play at running back but I do think We also have to walk back Javante a little bit right now because it's very clear that Melvin Gordon is not going away. They actually upped Melvin Gordon's snaps in week two, and they actually lowered Javante a little bit, though the touch count was still very similar. Javante Williams only a 3% target share on the season to this point. So I like the player, but I think we might have to wait a little bit before we can kind of see uh, Javante Williams unleashed a little bit. For me, I had five GPP lineups, and each featured a different stack. I had a Justin Herbert stack, Russell Wilson... I had a Tom Brady. I had Jalen Hurts, which I mentioned I really like. That didn't work out. He had a touchdown callback as well. Shout out to Jalen Rager for stepping out of bounds. Uh, and mm. then I had Kyler Murray stacks. The problem, I had DK Metcalf over Tyler Lockett. I had no Rondell Moore. I was overweight on Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb as my one-off running backs. Alvin Kamara, I mean, another one, it's like, will the real New Orleans Saints please stand up? Because I have no, from week one to week two, it's just, it's a completely different team. I also had exactly zero Derrick Henry shares, who goes off for almost 51 points. He was like 6% owned in the $5 huddle on DraftKings. So uh, I'll pull up my best GPP lineup here, which wound up putting up uh, 141.84, and it was a stack that featured Tom Brady. The problem is for the Buccaneers and Tom Brady is that every week there is going to be someone who's left out. And I guess trying to figure that out on a weekly basis is, is going to be... Annoying. It's going to be hard to figure out. Uh, but let me pull this up here so you guys can all follow along. But Tom Brady. I have Mike Evans in the lineup, which works out well. He scores two touchdowns now down near the goal line. But I also have Antonio Brown, who finishes with one catch for 17 yards. Double bring back. I have Calvin Ridley in the lineup at 4.9% ownership. That'll work at 19 points. Kyle Pitts, I thought, was okay. 5% rostered here. There's another one where if I'm off Antonio Brown and I go to Gronkowski, It's just a completely different lineup, right? So it's just like a few things. I have Nick Chubb as a one-off play. I have KJ Osborne uh, correlated with Chase Edmonds in that game. So I thought this was an okay lineup just off by a few players. What do you think, Mike?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, in my personal opinion, the only thing I probably wouldn't have done, but it actually didn't work out for you in terrible shape here was I probably would not have done the double bring back. I probably just would have had one of Ridley or Pitts. Uh, other than that, I think everything looks good. Um, I love Edmonds and Osborne paired together I like Chubb there. Um, I, I think that that's the only thing that I would have potentially even done a little bit different in this spot is you may or may not have known that the Jets defense at 2200 was going to be super popular. When I play someone like Chubb like that, I would maybe want to correlate it with the Cleveland defense. However, Same thing like that uh, Dallas game that did not go the way that you really would have hoped. So you would have actually been way worse off with Cleveland's defense at only five points with that extra salary. But that's one where I would have, because I was playing Chubb and it was so unique, I probably would have correlated it with the defense. But other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not your fault. Antonio Brown had one catch for 17 yards.
2: Yeah, hey Mike, I want to ask you real quick because I think a lot of people listening they'll look at this lineup and again, um, check it out on YouTube. It's got Tom Brady, it's got Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown, and the he brings it back with Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley. Can you explain to the listener maybe why you would have only brought it back with one as opposed to those two pass catchers?
1: Yeah, if I would have brought it, I, it's just simple because of the you're already unique enough with that combination. I don't think you need to get so unique and bring it back unless you really, really, really thought this game was just going to be an absolute shootout. Uh, I think everything in the betting market and everything probably should have told you not necessarily massive shootout, more so decisive victory for Tampa Bay. So in this case, that's one where like the Dallas game, that one we're talking shootout competitive game. Obviously we didn't get that, but that's one where I would be more than willing to have a double bring back. In this case, it's probably one where I would not want the double bring back just because the most likely outcome is the buccaneers pull away have a commanding victory and the other team is scratching t- to put up a few points but in this case it did kind of shoot out they did scratch their way to 25 um, and it you know kind of gave you a middling result here frankly you're not getting massive ceiling game from either guy but you're not getting scores that just totally tank the lineup.
0: Yeah, so that's a good point to keep in mind. When you see these big totals, if there's also someone who's a massive favorite, you might want to, you know, maybe you don't bring it back with two pieces on the other side. One that stands out for me this week, I believe it's the Cardinals and Jaguars, who, yeah, that game is a 52-point total. The Cardinals are 7.5-point favorites on the road. I mean, that is one that stands out to me where it it, it could get get out of control, but... Uh, as we'll talk about when we look at week three pricing, Marvin Jones is still way, way, way too cheap. Uh, yeah.
2: And Frank, I actually, I-, I talked to you guys before the show about that particular game for for week three. And to your point, and actually to Mike's point, I did a three by one there as opposed to a three by two, because I don't expect that to be the sort of back and forth affair we're looking for. Marvin Jones was my bring back. And then I had Kyler with, and I'm trying to remember, I had him with Rondale Moore and um Somebody else. Actually, it was Max Williams. Again, it's a preliminary lineup, but that's that's what I did at that point uh, for a three by one. All
0: right. So we uh, before we hit a break, I just want to remind everyone that we will be running another DFS contest this week. Five dollar entry. I think we're gonna up it to one hundred and fifty entries this week. So top ten percent will get paid out on a weekly basis. So we move up to one hundred and fifty entries. That will be top fifteen player. Uh, top fifteen get paid out. The link will be in the episode description. It will be in the YouTube description as well. And I did want to give a shout out to our week two winner, uh, Mest14, 14, M-E-H-S-T-14, 14, who dropped 215 points right on our heads. And wow. uh, this will be the la- last lineup that we pull up here for week two recap. But uh, this is the lineup. It, it's Tom Brady. It's Derrick Henry at 4% ownership out of 100 people, fifty, nearly 51 fantasy points scored. Najee Harris, Cooper Cup, T. Higgins, Marvin Jones, Noah Fant, Chris Carson, Vikings. No correlation here, but play the best plays, and this is what you get, 215 fantasy points. Uh, Mike, what do you think about our winner here?
1: I definitely would not have expected Tom Brady without a handcuff to be winning it, but it, he got the, obviously got that point total, and it was low enough owned, especially in this particular contest where he was single digits. Uh, and then the other thing that really helps is Derrick Henry getting 50 points at uh, 4% yeah. owned. That was definitely definitely what led them there. Other than that, yeah, it's great plays. Frankly, a lot of plays that we highlighted, we highlighted Tom Brady, we highlighted Najee Harris, Cooper Cup. We've talked about Higgins a little bit. Still remaining one of the better values despite some of the ownership. Looks like our group actually ended up fading him because he got him at only five percent. Uh, but then we, we mentioned Fant, We mentioned Carson. Like overall, it's it is jamming in the best place. Um, so congratulations and. Buy yourself a Derrick Henry jersey for sure. (laughs)
2: I'll I'll say this: a a lack of correlation can be remediated when you have one guy scoring fifty and the other guy scoring forty. I mean that's just I mean that's kind of the name of the game, right? You got to get the high point scores. Typically, you're not going to have a guy that goes off for fifty-one and forty. So,
0: yeah, no, that is a that is a good point. But figuring out who those plays are that is uh that's where it gets a little bit tough. Let's take a quick break. When we return, an early look at Week Three pricing here on Fantasy Football Today DFS.
3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal. And administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today.
0: All right, so let's start with week three. It's an interesting week given all of the injuries right now. At quarterback, Andy Dalton is week to week with a bone bruise in his knee. Tua Tungiloa is day-to-day with a rib injury. Ben Roethlisberger has a pectoral injury. His status is up in the air. Derek Carr, questionable with an ankle. Carson Wentz is currently questionable as well. He sprained both of his ankles, and of course we know he had off-season foot surgery there. Dalvin Cook is dealing with a mild ankle sprain, though he did finish Week Two's matchup against the Cardinals. I feel pretty optimistic about Dalvin Cook early in the week here. Uh, Jar- Jarvis Landry went to the IR with a knee injury and will miss at least three weeks, it sounds like Odell Beckham will return for week three. Deontay Johnson has a knee injury that's, quote, looking better not to be confused with great, according <laughs> to Mike Tomlin, which, I mean, if you guys want to decipher this, I this is like Da Vinci Code. I, what does that mean? Looking better not to be confused with great. I, I don't know. So uh, if Deontay Johnson's out, that could potentially open up some value for Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster. The entire 49ers backfield is beat up, Elijah Mitchell has a shoulder. Trace Sermon has a concussion. Michael Hasty has a high ankle sprain. Zach Ertz was placed on the COVID list, so he is in doubt for week three. Uh, and there is some optimism for Amari Cooper, who actually plays on Monday Night Football. And then Daryl Henderson. Both are dealing with rib injuries. Let's start with quarterback, and we have two names that are up over 8,000 on the main slate. That's Kyler Murray at 8,300, which is very quickly working his way into the MVP discussion. Big favorites at the Jaguars, which I mentioned. Patrick Mahomes back on the main slate. He's 8,200 going up against the Los Angeles Chargers with a 55.5 point total. Just below that group, we have Lamar Jackson at 7,800. Big favorites, 49 and a half point total at the Lions. Russell Wilson, seventy six hundred at the Vikings. That game has a fifty five and a half point total. Tom Brady, sixty eight hundred with a potentially tough matchup here against the Rams, another fifty five and a half point total. That's right. I mentioned three different games that have a fifty five and a half point total as of now, according to Caesars Sportsbook. Mike, early look at the top price quarterbacks this week. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to definitely have Patrick Mahomes' exposure. You want them coming into a division game, bounce-back spot for them after that disappointing loss. Um, It's going to be a lot of him handcuffed with Travis Kelsey again for me. I think that that's probably it for me. I mean, I'll probably – I mean, I'll have a Kyler Murray lineup, but I'm not going to have a ton of them this week. I think this will be the week that I'll probably – dip down and go a little bit cheaper, but a lot of that is going to be dictated based on what happens with the Indianapolis Colts. I know we'll talk about cheaper quarterbacks probably here in a minute, but there's obviously, if uh, Wentz is out, Easton at $4,000 is going to be very hard to ignore in some formats.
0: Yep, and look, Patrick Mahomes, we talked about it in week one. Obviously, we had a lot more value in week one, but on the main slate, when we have this many quarterbacks, this many games going on, you're just going to get the Chiefs at lower ownership than they should be partially because their pricing is as high as it is, but we know, and we saw it back in week one, you know, once those late games start, Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Hill, Travis Kelsey, they come in and they save the day. So I do think that we will once again get the Chiefs at lower ownership than we should. Some solid mid-tier options at quarterback. Justin Herbert, 6,500, potentially chasing points in that game at the Chiefs. By the way, Herbert, Herbert's played very well this year, but the numbers don't really reflect that. So I think that this is a good buying opportunity at that price. Daniel Jones and Teddy Bridgewater both have great matchups. Jones at home against the Falcons, Bridgewater at home against the Jets, and both have played very well this year. They are $5,800 each. And then a wild card for me, Justin Fields is $5,200. He did not look ready last week. He got kind of thrown into that game. Uh, but now he has to travel to the Cleveland Browns, which on paper, they have a pretty good defense. We'll see what happens with Andy Dalton, but I don't think Dalton's going to be able to go 5,200 for Fields, who we know he can run, obviously. Uh, that That's a wild card. So, Sia, what do you think about these mid-tier, lower-priced quarterbacks? And if there's anything you'd like to talk about with the the elite names,
2: go ahead. I mean, as far as the elite names are concerned, I, I like Kyler again. Of course, I like Mahomes. I like Lamar Jackson, too. I mean, especially because I, I think stacking Lamar makes sense because, first of all, you could just play him naked if you wanted to. But his who he's going to, it's a very concentrated target share. It's probably going to be Marquise Brown, who has really started to flash, maybe Mark Andrews. So I think it's kind of an easy stack to make if that's what you want to do with Lamar Jackson. Um, again, Kyler, Mahomes, Lamar, that, they're going to be at the top of my list. I think Josh Allen is interesting. Russell Wilson, of course, going against Minnesota is interesting. And yeah, as far as the mid-tier, I love Herbert. I love stacking Herbert in, in this particular game script. I think it's going to be finally a time for him to kind of you know, get his arm loose a little bit and shoot out against Kansas City, who's, who's definitely going to be... be in bounce back mode. As we go down, that's interesting. I think Justin Fields is a really, really interesting play. I don't think he's ready either, but part of a young quarterback not being ready is basically coming off his first read and then just starting to run. And I think you can do that against Cleveland because I agree Cleveland's defense on paper is pretty good, but hey, follow the Tyrod Taylor game script, you know, follow that blueprint because he kind of tore them up. And honestly, if he didn't go out of that game, the Browns may lose. in, in embar- It would have been an embarrassing loss. And I think Tyrod had really kind of complete control of that game. It might have come down to the last possession. So I love your Justin Fields call. If I had to maybe go down in that range for like a random guy, and this is a little kind of hometown bias here, but Taylor Heineke, I think the Washington Buffalo total is a little low. And I think if you wanted to get really contrarian, admittedly, this is contrarian, but you could Maybe stack Tyler, uh, excuse me, Taylor Heineke with like a McLaurin and bring it back with a Stefan Diggs, something like that. I think probably the the more popular play and a good play would be the Josh Allen with Diggs. Maybe you double stack with Diggs and Beasley, for example, and bring it back with somebody like McLaurin. But I think Heineke is interesting as a, as a contrarian play.
0: Mike, Fields at 5,200. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up with the 100 yard rushing bonus on DraftKings in week two.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not out of the range of outcomes. There's no doubt about that. Um, It it could happen against Cleveland. I'm trying to look at the actual rushing totals. Um, Yeah, I think that it's definitely definitely possible. Um, One guy that we didn't mention yet, though, that I think we should is actually Matthew Stafford. Um, I like Matthew Stafford quite a bit, mostly because his, uh, receivers are still underpriced Cooper cup and Robert Woods, both underpriced. We know this game is going to be very competitive. Uh, at least it should be. Um, it's a one or two point spread right now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think that the, this, uh, Rams team, they actually had some pretty legitimate tests so far this season. I know that it was the Andy Dalton led Chicago bears, but that defense is not terrible at times when they want to play well. They're not. He put up 24 DraftKings points against them, uh, approached 20 against Indy and some spots where that game, like, I I think this is an interesting spot for him, frankly. I think we're going to stack this game up a little bit. And I think it's going to be overlooked because everyone's going to want to stack Kansas City and the Chargers. But I definitely think that we're going to be stacking the Rams side of this Tampa Bay matchup this week.
0: Yep, Stafford, you were getting at 6400 at home against Tampa Bay. That's $400 less than Tom Brady. That's $100 less than Justin Herbert. So I do think we will get Stafford at lower ownership than uh, probably should be in week two. Let's take a look at running backs. No Christian McCaffrey on the main slate as the Panthers are playing on Thursday night football. Uh, but we do have three running backs over 8K this week. Derek Henry, 8600 at home against the Colts. He has 10 targets. In two games under new OC Todd Downing, which I find interesting because his career high in targets is 31, and he's currently on pace for like 80 targets over a 16 game season. So I don't know if that's going to remain, but you no. Know, once we get like a three, four, five game sample, if if Henry's catching passes, I mean that that might actually make him worth his uh, his cost on DraftKings. Dalvin Cook 8400 versus the Seahawks, who just got destroyed by Derrick Henry, and then Alvin Kamara at 8200 at the New England Patriots. Again, I have no idea what to expect from the New Orleans Saints right now. See, what do you think of this top group?
2: I, I like Derrick Henry. It, it's a little expensive. I mean, the, you'll find this week when you're building lineups that it's really hard to jam in all the players you want because pricing is not soft anymore. As of, Basically today, it, it's just really hard to get a, a lineup that that is full of guys that you're like, yeah, I, I definitely want to play this guy. So Derek Henry is going to be hard to put in my lineup. Honestly, I go all the way down to Austin Eckler. And, and I think and I know you didn't discuss him, but I think that's sort of where I'm the starting point for me. Um, he took a hard hit last week. I assume he's good to go. And in this in this Chargers Kansas City game, I think he's going to be, you know, one of Herbert's best friends.
0: Yeah, Austin Eckler, I think it's a great call. 7,200 in that game at the Chiefs. He did not have a reception in Week 1. It seemed like that might have been on purpose because he obviously was dealing with the hamstring injury. He had nine receptions on nine targets in Week 2. So it looks like Austin Eckler is back to the player we expected him to be. Some other mid-tier names that stand out. Saquon Barkley is 6,500 at home against the Falcons. He went from 48% of the snaps in Week 1 to 84% in Week 2. And now he's coming off 10 days rest. I think this might be the spot where the Giants kind of want to unleash Saquon Barkley. I have a feeling he's going to be pretty popular, though, at $6,500. Chris Carson, $6,400 in a game with a 55 half point total. I think this is kind of rinse and repeat. Not He didn't have any targets, receptions last week, but uh, still has a very valuable role on one of the best offenses in football. Uh, Some 6K standouts I wanted to mention as well. Antonio Gibson is 5,900. DeAndre Swift is 5,800. He has an 18% target share through two weeks. Uh, James White, 4,900 at home against the New Orleans Saints. And then Mike, The DraftKings is just begging us. They are begging us to play Clyde Edwards-Elair at 4800 because, I mean, it is just, it's such a trap, too. Like, they're going up against the Chargers. The Chiefs do not use their running backs. They don't care. They are just going to pass. But he's worth mentioning because he is so cheap. So what do you think about this mid-tier, Mike?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I actually, I'll, I'll be playing Clyde Edwards-Elair this week. Uh, I do think that Andy tries to make a point to get the confidence back up a little bit here, and it's just natural. He's still get, you know, you say they don't use him. They don't use him a ton. It just doesn't seem like they don't use them because they throw to Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill so much. But we're still talking about 14 carries and still going to have involvement in the passing game. So at 4,800, like, I, I have interest in him. Like, I can't say that I would want to play – Mike Davis at 5,100 and not want to include CEH in that group, right? So I think that the talent is clearly there. Another thing with this Chargers defense, you know, is are they going to let them do what they just did to, uh, to Dallas? Are they going to basically beg them to run the ball and then end up obviously getting beat by it? But with Pollard and Zeke, like, is that going to happen for the Chiefs here? Are they going to play a coverage scheme that's going to encourage them to run the ball? I think that they probably will. Um, so I can tell you for a fact that he's definitely in my player pool. Uh, this week. Uh, Antonio Gibson, I'll be right back there. Uh, I think for the Rams, I think is super interesting. Henderson came up uh, injured late in that game. He's on the injury report. I uh, have not dug in to see how terribly serious it is, but would be worth noting uh, for Sonny Michelle. Uh, I know it's a tough, tough matchup, but I think the Rams are still going to try to use them a little bit. So that's something to keep an eye on this week as well
0: yeah Daryl Henderson dealing with that rib injury. Sony Michelle is forty nine hundred dollars. So going up against Tampa Bay we know it's a a tougher matchup but in a game that's gonna expect it to be competitive with with that big of a point total. Uh, see anything that you wanted to hit on from these mid-tier names?
2: No, I mean that was pretty much it. I'll say Montgomery is an interesting one. David Montgomery for the Bears uh, he's he's got a nice price uh, and I like Sony as well. i I have a feeling Daryl Henderson's gonna sit this one out and I think even though it's against a tough defense, uh, the Rams' offense is 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 pretty good, regardless of the defense. So, and I thought Sony Michelle looked pretty spry last week. And honestly, even if you go back to last season, his yards per carry wasn't bad. I think maybe we have this perception of Sony Michelle that just isn't true.
0: Yeah, right. That he's just some kind of plotter. But yeah, I mean, he looked good in in the preseason as well. He caught a few passes while he was still on the Patriots. We'll see uh, what happens with the status of Daryl Henderson. Let's move on to wide receiver. We have two over eight thousand. In week three on the main slate, Tyreek Hill is 8,400 at home against the Chargers, and DeAndre Hopkins is 8,200 at the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have five that are in the 7K 7 k to $7,600 range. This is from lowest to highest Calvin Ridley, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Stefan Diggs, a few mid tier standouts. For me, Cooper Cup once again, it uh, goes from 6K to 6800. I still think that that price is too low in that game environment against Tampa Bay. Uh, Adam Thielen 6700, another very enticing game environment against the Seahawks. AJ Brown has dropped all the way down to 6500 on DraftKings. That is the same price as Julio Jones. They are at home against the Colts. Chris Godwin seems way too cheap at 6100 because I personally doubt that he sees Jalen Ramsey. Chris Godwin runs a lot of his routes out of the slot, so I think Antonio Brown or, or Mike Evans is probably seeing Ramsey in this one. Uh, and then Corlin Sutton, 6K, monster game, 159 receiving yards. He looked like the alpha wide receiver in week two without Jerry Judy. Sia, we'll start with you this time. Uh, what do you think of the high price and mid-tier options at wide receiver?
2: Well, I love Tyreek Hill, so it's just a matter of who do you want to pair Patrick Mahomes with. I think Mike's going to be with Kelsey. I'll probably have just an even split of Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and then I might just go triple style with like a McColl Hardman, who's a very reasonable price uh, down there. I think he's 3900 if memory serves, or maybe it's $4,900. Uh, it is 3900 So again, uh, McColl had eight targets last week. They definitely made a concerted effort, at least in the first half, to get him the ball. So uh, I-, I like uh, Hill quite a bit. I, you know, Hopkins is an interesting one to me because, listen, Kyler's going to a lot of different targets, you know, whether it's Rondale Moore, Chris Kirk or Max Williams or A.J. Green or Chase Edmonds. There's there's a lot of targets there. So I don't think I'll be paying up this week for DeAndre Hopkins unless his ownership percentage happens to be really low. I like Stefan Diggs quite a bit. Washington's front four, maybe even their front seven are really good. But on the back end. They they can't really cover anybody right now. And those, you know, Stefan runs a lot of those short area targets. I think Josh Allen will be looking to get the ball out pretty quick. So I see Diggs just piling up the receptions in that game. Um, as we go down a little bit, of course, I like Justin Jefferson. I've already rostered him on the on the few teams that I've um, created. To, I, I like McLaurin a lot as a bring back in that Buffalo game. And then I agree with you on Cooper Cup. I like AJ Brown this week. I'm definitely playing AJ Brown this week. I will say this. I think a lot of people will be on Cortland Sutton. My pivot there, especially if Deontay Johnson is out, is going to be Juju Smith-Schuster against the Cincinnati secondary. I think this could be a coming out party for him. I know he hasn't really done much in, in over a year, but I, I I like this if it's just down to two main targets for Pittsburgh.
0: I will point out, you mentioned Hopkins and the fact that the Cardinals are spreading the ball around. Right now, their target share through two weeks is very balanced. It's 20% for Rondell Moore, 18% for Hopkins, 18% for AJ Green, 14% for Christian Kirk, and then 12% for Max Williams coming off that uh, big game in week two. A few values that stood out to me, these are sub-6K. Sterling Shepard, 5,900 at home against the Falcons. He has seven or more receptions in four straight games dating back to last year. Very clearly the go-to guy for Daniel Jones. Robert Woods in that same game uh, at the Bucks. Uh, at home against the Bucks, he's 5,700. Still pretty cheap, has not done much to this point, but I think you can probably get him at lower ownership because of that. Antonio Brown, 5,200. T. Higgins, 51. Rondell Moore is at 5K. I think he'll be pretty popular coming off the big game. And then a few just dark throws. KJ Osborne, once again, the snaps did come down. The routes came down, so I don't like to see that, but he's only 3,500 in a big game. And then Van Jefferson, also in a big game. The routes and the snaps were way up for him. He's only 3400 Mike, what do you think about these, these value plays?
1: Yeah, I like both of those guys a lot. And I, I really, I know it's not a value play, but I love DK Metcalf this week. I think it's is a beautiful, beautiful spot for him. So I'll have Osborne on the bring back there. That'll be featured pretty heavily for me. Uh, and then one more value play before I go back to receiver. I wanted to mention it at running back, and I forgot about it until Sia mentioned Stefan Diggs. I love J.D. McKissick this week at 5,200. I think he's an excellent tournament play. He had a lot of chemistry with Heineke last season when Heineke came into play. You go look at the difference in the snaps and the usage that he had between week one and week two. The difference was is they ended up in a very competitive game with the Giants in week two, which is what I think we could see here in week three with Buffalo. He's going to be heavily involved in this passing game. Heineke's going to struggle to throw the ball down the field. We already know that it's going to be a lot of Logan Thomas getting peppered with targets, McLaurin over the middle, just because he's a freak athlete. But JD McKissick is going to be involved at 5,200. If you like the stuff on Diggs play, I would absolutely consider bringing it back uh, right there with that. All right. Let's see. Uh, uh, no, well, other wide receivers quickly. Um, I, I think the Bengals wide receivers are still too cheap, and it might be the perfect time to actually play them because we just mentioned some of those other value plays, and I think people are going to hop off, hop off just a little bit because of the perceived difficult matchup with the Steelers on the road. Um, so Tyler Boyd could be his time. 4,700, T. Higgins, 5,100. I think both of those guys are absolutely in play. And then for me, the Rams, you already mentioned it, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. I will have combinations of all three of them, um, and I'll probably end up with a lot of Antonio Brown. I think Antonio Brown is the guy that's going to be the most effective against the way the Rams like to play defense.
0: Tyler Boyd, I think it's a great call. He let us down in week one, bounced back in week two, seven for 73 on nine targets And he's only 4,700 in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's wrap up with tight end. There's two currently over 7K: Travis Kelsey 8,200, Darren Waller 7,400, which makes sense. And then some values that stand out for me: TJ Hawkinson is 5,200. And I did fantasy football today in five five minute podcast that we do here at CBS Sports. I did it with Chris Towers last night, and I have elevated TJ Hawkinson ahead of George Kittle. I think that he is the tight end three in fantasy because he is just going to be peppered with targets. The Lions have nobody. They just don't They don't have pass catchers, and Hawkinson is very clearly the go-to guy for Jared Goff, and, and he's performed well to this point. So he's only 5,200. Mark Andrews is at 5K. I think that's a good little uh, bounce-back price for him. Kyle Pitts, I wrote 5,900. I think that's probably supposed to be 4,900. Uh, So I will find that out for you. Uh, But Tyler, 4,900. All right, 4,900. I I still do like the role in the offense for Kyle Pitts. Tyler Higbee is 4K. Once again, um, I I still, I like his role in a a very competitive game. Jared Cook, 39. And then Gerald Everett, who his snaps and routes actually went way up from week one to week two. He is the near minimum at $3,000. See, what do you think about tight end?
2: Well, I love Travis Kelsey. Uh, I love T.J. Hawkinson, and I agree with you about his comparison uh, with uh, George Kittle. I agree with where you stand on that. Uh, Mark Andrews is interesting in this matchup. I I think it could be a coming out party for him as well. I like Kyle Pitts. Uh, As we go down, you know, I I might play a little bit of Tyler Higby because of just the, the price and how his snap share. But I might take a chance on Max Williams. I mentioned him earlier in the show in an initial build. I think he has more targets and catches than, than people think, especially last week. I think it was seven targets or maybe it was seven catches on eight targets. I got to double check that. But I think Max Williams in in what should be an easy game for I know we have a lot of targets there, but this guy's 3,200. So, you know, four catches might get him across the line here. So uh, that that's a low end option I'm going to consider. But the, those high end options that you mentioned, I, I like most of them.
0: Mike, we have Travis Kelsey up at 8,200. You might have mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but who are you more likely to go to? I mean, if you're you know, making your Patrick Mahomes lineups, are you just splitting it evenly between Kelsey and Tyree Kill? Because it's really hard to fit in both of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. For me, it's going to be uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, I don't think it's particularly close. I'm trying to look at Waller. Waller could be there. um, But in terms of value at the price point, it's definitely Travis Kelsey. So the opportunity cost is just so much different when looking at that tight end position. Like if I give up on Tyreek Hill, there are still a number of wide receivers in that price range that have a remotely similar ceiling. Uh, outside of Darren Waller, if I'm not playing him and I don't like the value on him relative to Kelsey's price point, then the opportunity cost there is drastic um, when you drop down. So I, I personally will have a lot more Kelsey than Tyree kill this week. I'll still have both. I'll have lineups with both of them when I'm stacking. Um, but I if in cash games, it'll be Travis Kelsey for sure.
0: All right, quickly just mention a few defenses that stand out early. Cincinnati, twenty one hundred. They've actually played pretty well so far this year. Big Ben is banged up. Uh, the Titans are twenty four hundred. They're going up against the Colts, who could be without Carson Wentz. Uh, we have Washington, who is twenty six hundred. It's they're going up against the Bills, so I mean it's it's a tough spot ultimately. But the Bills do pass the ball a lot, which creates opportunities for sacks and turnovers. And then we have the Dolphins at. 2,700, they are going up against the Raiders. Derek Carr, currently questionable. We have Cleveland, 3,200, going up against likely Justin Fields in his first NFL start. And then Las Vegas, 3,400 on that other on the other side of that game uh, to Watonga-Vailoa, currently questionable as well. That'll do it for Mike and Sia. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today, DFS. The next time you hear us will be on Thursday when we deep dive all of the games on the main slate for week three. We'll see you then.